So we're going to be uh, working out of James 1 today. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to James 1. If you have your phones, you can go to open your Bible app and go to James 1. We're going to be working uh, through 16 verses in James 1 today, and I'm excited uh, for this message. I believe it's going to be powerful and practical and encouraging to us. And so my, the first verse I want to share out of James 1 is James 1.17. It's kind of the end of the, the collection of verses that we're going to be talking about. And this is what it says. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everyone say, God is good. good. All the time. All the time, God is good. Amen. So I brought an apple with me today. No, no, no one brought me this apple like a teacher. I brought this with me, okay? And I brought this apple because there's this verse in, in Psalm 34, and we'll read it in a second, but it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when I present this apple to you, Right now in your brain, we have brains are crazy. Like you're, if I told you to imagine yourself eating an apple, you, you would be able to anticipate what an apple tasted like. You'd say they're sour apples, they're sweet apples. And just by looking at this apple, because you have eaten an apple before, you'd be able to imagine what this would taste like. Or you might have heard someone describe an apple. Someone's eating, what does it taste like? Oh, this is a sour apple or this is a sweet apple. And what I've, what I've found in Christian culture and in culture in general is that very few people have taken a bite. We have pastors, we have leaders, we have friends, we have songs that talk and say and have language and lyrics all around the goodness of God. Our parents have told us about how God is loving and kind in our whole lives, maybe, or maybe our childhood have been told that God is good. But it's mostly been secondhand experiences. It's been other people worship like God is good. And so I'm going to try to worship and try to experience what they're experiencing. And maybe if I fake it long enough, then I'll experience that He's good. Other people. Just fake it to fit in. Other people have tasted that God was good years ago and now they've forgotten the taste and so they're living and describing how God's good based off something that happened years and years and years or months ago. And they're going off of old experiences or secondhand experiences. This is what it says in Psalm 34, 1 through 10. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Exalt the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This wretched man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him or woman. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no lack of anything. The young lions do without and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord will, lack, uh, will not lack any good thing. Let us not settle for other people's love for God. Let's not settle knowing how to talk about the goodness of God, about the love of God, about the fathering of God, about the joy of the Lord or of the peace of God. Jesus hung on that tree. He bore our sin on that cross. He sent his spirit into the earth so that you could taste and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't want us to, 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 to rely on anyone else's description of the goodness of God. He sent Jesus on that cross to destroy the works of the enemy, to forgive your sin, to condemn sin in the flesh, to destroy every spiritual dark force imaginable so that his kids could be adopted. And so my question for us tonight as we get going into this, is are you taking currently, not have you in the past, are you taking the goodness or the love of God personally? Is it personal? I know this is weird, but have you taken a bite? Have you put your trust in God and, 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 and looked at the potential of disappointment and said, I will trust anyway? Are you taking this personal? And here's my bottom line for tonight. We can taste and see the goodness of God in trials. Trials. So like I said, we're going to be going through John 1 today. And basically, I'm going to go through an outline of these 16 verses and show you how they all connect to one another and how James has a beautiful teaching of how to view God's goodness in the midst of difficulty in the midst of trial, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficult circumstances. James 1 teaches this. And so what you have to know about the book of James is that James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. So it's a collection of wise sayings for us. It's like a very practical book. Raise your hand if you've read a part of James before. James has things like uh, faith without works is dead, be slow to, anger, or be, be, uh, slow to speak, Quick to listen, slow to become angry, a lot of collection of, of wise sayings for us. And so we're going to work through James 1 through kind of like an outline of the first chapter or the first portion of the first chapter. So give me a thumbs up if you're ready to go. If you have a notes, take some notes. Come on, note takers are history makers. Amen. And we're going to get going. So the first point I want to make out of James 1 is that trials are a good thing. <laughs> I can get any amens out of that one. I can get no amens. Maybe I'll say to this one, like, trials are a good thing. Amen. No, okay, you're faking it, okay. Trials are a good thing. Amen. Who can testify to me tonight that a trial in your life has brought you closer to God? Okay, this section right here, trials are a good thing. Can I get an amen? amen. You see, your, your flesh will tell you, avoid trials. God's saying, I'm using trials to draw you closer to me so you don't trust in the material world, you'll trust your heavenly Father. The world will tell you, avoid trials. Trials, my friends, 
are some of the things that have brought Christians throughout the centuries closer to the heart of God than any blessing ever could. Any blessing. Here's James 1. Consider it all joy. Everyone say all joy. joy. (laughs) Come on, James. Why are you setting the bar so high here, James? Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Rewind Psalms 34. Fear the Lord, you as saints. To those who fear him, there is no lack in anything. Fear the Lord. James 1, when when endurance has its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So a a, a teaching in the New Testament, in in the Christian doctrine, is that in Christ you lack nothing. I don't have enough money. I don't have the right family. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. In Christ, you lack nothing. The only thing, in fact, you might lack is a trial. And so the thing that you're trying to get out of is actually the thing that God's using to perfect you. And if you listen to your flesh and your comfort, you will try to run from that trial instead of sit in that trial with your heavenly Father. Man. Are you listening right here, guys? Stop running from your trial. You know, I have a three-year-old son. Sometimes when he's struggling with something, I'm, a, I'm not a good dad, but I, I do my best. And I know that when my three-year-old son is, 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 is trying to accomplish a task, for example, when he's climbing the stairs, I will stand behind him. But he's, if he's on those first three stairs, I might let him trip and fall down because I know it won't hurt him. I'm teaching him a lesson that he needs to be careful. My son might be trying to to play with a toy and put, you know those weird toys, like the little shaped ones? Like he might be putting that toy in the wrong hole and he's struggling, he's getting angry and I'm gonna let him struggle. I'm gonna let him struggle because I want him to endure. I want him to push through. And these are are, are, our superficial examples, but it's an example of what a heavenly father might do to us in our lives, that in his scope, he might look at the trials and we feel like it's killing us, but he sees the bigger picture. Amen? So count it all joy. Relationship problems, financial stresses, health issues, emotional difficulties, all of these could be considered trials. So raise your hand if you've had a relational problem in the last year. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've had a financial stress in the last year. Keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you've had a health issue in the last year. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've had emotional difficulties in the last year. Raise your hand. Everyone, if you raise your hand, keep it up. Listen, blessed are you. Oh gosh, that's not what I want to hear at church. I want to hear hear the message that God's going to free me. He will free you. But you have to go through it. And you're not alone. Rejoice. Consider it all joy when you face trials. This is not my message. This is James' message, and it's the message of the gospel. Now, it's good for us to wrestle. It's good to go through difficulty. But it it, it is tragic 
And I'm not trying to make light of people who are going through real tragic issues, real problems, real difficulties, unbearable burdens. I understand that those that it feels like we are not going to make it through at times. My message tonight is to point you to the goodness of God in the midst of our difficulties. Not to make light of them, but to magnify God over our difficulties. In verse 3 of James 1, it says, The testing of your faith. The difficulties in life reveal what we believe. They reveal what we put our faith and trust in. They reveal it. And so I have this little statement that I'd like to make. Trials plus faith equals a testimony. It says knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and then you'll lack nothing. So the trials, God's not giving you trials just to punish you. He's giving us trials so that our strength, our faith, will be strengthened. He's, giving, he, he's allowing trials in our life so that we can be refined, so that our devotion to God is more pure than it was yesterday. And some of us say, God, why did you design it this way? He designed it this way because it is the, it is the only way. It is the only way. God promises difficulty. He promises hardship. He promises things will not always go our way. But he says, take heart. I will always be with you. And if he is always with us, we, ne- we lack no thing. So trials plus faith equals a testimony. Trials plus fear, control, and anxiety equals stuck. Now, what I'm not saying is that you can't have... Uh, moments of fear, control, or anxiety, but what I am saying is that if the, predominant, uh, if the predominant or the most frequent condition of our faith is, is, or our heart is fear, anxiety, and control, then you will be stuck. See, God didn't design difficulties for us to suffer. He designed difficulties and trials so that our faith would be strengthened. So the, so the, the direction that James is giving us is that when you face trials, use your faith. And we'll continue to flesh that out in this message. So we can taste and see the goodness of God in trials. You don't have to just sing about it, friends. You don't have to just read about it or listen to a preacher talk about it from another testimony. You can experience the peace and the joy and the comfort of God. Even while you're struggling, you can experience his nearness through the difficulty, through the suffering, through the questions, if you use your faith in God's goodness. you got to use your faith. We cannot allow ourselves to, to, to let fear and anxiety and control run rampant in our hearts and then blame God for what's going on. Second thing in James 1. So it's kind of like our second point. First one, trials are a good thing. Second, ask for wisdom in trials. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like, the, uh, is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So God is good, and James is teaching us that when you go through trials, rejoice because God's good. And now he's saying when you're going through trials, ask for wisdom. God's so good that he'll give heavenly wisdom to anyone who asks. The only condition is that you have to believe that he will give it to you. You have to believe that God will give you wisdom, which means that you have to trust, which means you have to trust God's timing. So many young people and Christians in general, not even young people, they ask God for wisdom and then they, right before God's about to give it to them, they take their life into their own hands. They ask God for wisdom and then right at the point of their faith, the, the, the turning point, the fork in the road, they take it and they control it and they do something to compromise the faith that they have in God. I've done this so many times in my life. I'm not speaking from a point uh, of superiority. I'm speaking from a point of testimony that this is true. So when we are in trial, we ask God for wisdom, and he gives to all generously without reproach. So because worry... So usually what will happen is you go through a difficult time, and then worry, anxiety, stress, control, apathy disconnection, we, we, we just forget about it or we, we sit in it, worry is faith in reverse. Now, I'm not telling us that we can't worry, okay? I'm not telling you not to be human, but I am saying that if the predominant and the most, the most frequent feeling of faith is your worry in the worst possible scenario, then you will most likely stay stuck in your difficulty, that's why we got to use our faith in God's goodness and his fathering and his closeness on a daily basis through the difficulty, and we will surely lack no good thing. We still may be in our difficulty, but we will not lack peace. We will not lack joy. We will not lack the confidence in the relationship that we have in God. And I know for me, sometimes I fall into worry before prayer. In relational difficulty, instead of bringing it to my good father, I bring it to my problem-solving abilities. Before I bring it to my good father, I bring it to a friend for advice. Before I bring it to my good father, I bring it to the worst-case scenario. And I have to, in that moment, tell myself, Jake, stop it. Stop it. James is telling me in this scripture that if I ask God for wisdom, he will 100% of the time give me the wisdom that I need for the trial that I'm going through, but I have to wait for his timing and I have to trust him. It's guaranteed, 100%. He will never not give you the wisdom that you need. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, for this Light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things 
that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As we go through life, the goodness of God is always right here. God's grace, his peace, his joy is always available to us because Christ has defeated every spiritual darkness. He's defeated every spiritual attack. He has defeated everything on the cross and he has given us everything that we need. We lack no good thing. The goodness of God is always available. The the, the the, the goal or the, the pursuit of the Christian life is to stay connected to the source of that goodness. And we cannot live by our sight. We have to live by faith. We can't look to things that are seen. We have to look to things that are unseen. God is smarter than me. Can I get an amen? I don't know. You guys, I don't, you guys did not say Amen. Just giving you a hard time. He sees the whole picture, and more importantly, he is good. On my worst day, God saw the best in me. When I was his enemy, he was my advocate. When I was lost, he came running to me, to earth, and he walked up that hill to hang on that cross, went into Hades, rose again on the third day for me. When I was a sinner, he died for me. Will he not much more give me all things, Romans 8, 31 through 32. If he wouldn't hold back Jesus, why would he hold back wisdom? If he wouldn't hold back Jesus, why would he hold back joy and peace for us? I am not blaming anyone for the condition that you're in. Life is complicated, but I am saying God is good, and he is available, and he is near, and Jesus has made a way for us to lack no good thing. I do not condemn anyone who's in difficulty and wrestling. I do not condemn anyone. I just say God is good. I can testify. The trial isn't punishment. The difficulty is not your fault. You have an adversary, the devil, who's seeking to destroy you. It's not punishment, but it is a test. And you can be strengthened through it. So a lot of us, we try to attack our difficulties. We, we, like, we want to like take the big guy out first, right? We want to take Goliath out first. Listen, if you are going through difficulty, if you are tackling what seems to be a giant and you are trying to wrestle him to the ground, might I suggest that you, just like David, start with a smaller beast. Before David killed Goliath, he killed a bear and he killed a lion. You see, before he took on the giant, he took on a more manageable task for the state and the season that he was in. Before you tackle your depression, tackle something that's a little bit less scary. Before, before you start tackling these big relational problems, why don't you start to trust God and ask wisdom for small things like your college class. Ask for the small things like, a jo- like your job and having peace at your job. Why don't you start to build relationship with God and the small things? And God says that he who honors me with the small, I will give him more. He who's been faithful with a little will be faithful with much. Listen, don't take out the giant first. Start small. Can you guys do that? Don't condemn yourself for having difficulty. Give yourself grace. I promise you, God's given you it. And he's not trying to make you perfect 
right now, he's trying to perfect you over time through his spirit. Start small. Well, Jake, how do I do this? How do I start small? How do I, how do I even do this, Jake? This seems impossible. You don't, know my, you don't know my situation. Listen, I don't need to know your situation. I know my God. I don't need to know your situation. I know that man, Jesus, died on the cross, rose on the third day. He sent his spirit, and he's with you right now. And if he rose Jesus from the dead, he can handle your situation. But he's looking for a partner. He's looking for a relationship. It takes time. So Mike, who's in the back, he's got the white mustache and the white hair back there. He's my mentor. Yeah, Mike. Mike says when, when, when young guys, when young guys and, and ask him, a lot of people ask him for advice on how to, you know, how to grow in their relationship with God, and Mike's a wise guy. He's wise. He's godly. He says, he always gives this advice, seek God. Well, how do I do that? You seek God. Well, what do you mean, Jake? What do you mean seek God? Listen, the, the, that want to inside of us, that want to has to be flipped from getting out, getting out of our difficulty to being, I want God. I don't want God so that I can get out. I want God because it's who I'm made for. It's kind of like a relationship. Like, like when you have a crush on someone, when you're interested, when you, when you see that person and you're like, I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, dropping some hints and like, you don't, no one has to tell you. No one has to convince you to pursue them. No one has to convince you to like them. Nobody has to convince you to spend time with them. Nobody has to convince you to woo them. Nobody has to convince you to, to, to give a hint and to give a hint that you're interested. Nobody has to convince you to, to pursue that person. There is something inside of you that says, I will seek them. Same thing's true for God. If you want him, you'll figure it out. Better yet, He'll guide you to him. Because God cannot resist a broken and contrite heart. He cannot resist someone who is abandoned and saying, God, I, he can't resist it. He's like, Holy Spirit, sick them. He's like, get on them right now. He's like, get them right now. Go. Love them. Give them peace. He can't, he can't help it. Seek God. Seek God. Seek God. There are practicals, but nobody can, nobody can give you that want to. Nobody can give you that faith and that desire for God and for his, his plan for your life. So we can taste and see the goodness of God in trials. Third point, kind of a funny, a, a different point, but it's in James 1, and I think it's, it's a great piece of advice. It says, don't look at rich people in your trial. You're like, what? Now, brother... Now, the brother or sister of hum humble circumstances, meaning difficulty, is to glory in his high position, but the rich person is to glory in his humiliation. Because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flowers fall and off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So also the rich person, in the midst of his pursuits, will die out. Listen, rich people have money to solve their problems. Your financial stress... God, if I was part of that family, I would not be going through this right now. You see, what he's getting at, what James is getting at here is in your difficulty, you will always be tempted to compare yourself to someone else. You'll always be tempted to say, if only 
other person's circumstance. I wouldn't be going through this. If only I wasn't in this family. If only I wasn't this socioeconomic status. If only I hadn't gone to this school. If only all these excuses. God's saying, listen, no more excuses. Don't look at the rich person. They have money to solve their problems. But in that day, their money won't save them when they die. When you stand before Jesus, you cannot buy your way out of hell. It is by grace that you are saved, not by works, through faith. You can't, money can't save you. So he's saying here is, don't look for temporary means to solve your problems. Lean on God. You'll lack no good thing. I had this situation literally recently, like so recently, we had like so many bills coming in that were just we could not afford it. I was literally like, we're going to sell, we're gonna have to sell everything. We're going to sell our cars. We're going to have to sell my golf clubs. Gosh, that's a, terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just messing. But I'm just saying, like, I was like, we are not going to be able to afford life. Like, we cannot afford our, like, mortgage payment. We're, this is, like, awful. And I was worrying and freaking out and worrying. And my wife and I were having arguments because we were worrying about money. I'm like, I'm going to go deliver pizza. I just, I, like, we are going to have to, like, scrap for money and sell everything because of some situations and un, un, uh, unexpected large bills that we had. And then here at Access, Brie Haney was singing. She was singing the song Gyra. Alana's is wearing the shirt, Gyra. And it says, Gyra, you are enough. Gyra means, um, Gyra means the Lord provides. Jehovah Gyra. I will be content in every circumstance. You are Gyra more than enough. And right at the end of that song, I was singing it, and I was like, yeah, God, you're enough. God, you're enough. God, you're enough. You know, like singing it like I'm supposed to. And then Bree was like, I'm going to go back into the song. Have you ever had it where you're in a song, and you're like, do we have to go back into the song? <laughs> Who's ever had that? Come on, be honest. Don't lie to me in church, okay? I had that. Do we have to go back into the song? I'm like, I want to preach now, you know? Like <laughs> and then in that song, it hit, and I was exposed. It's like, Jake, I did this for you. Do you not believe that I can take care of you? And in that moment, my heart shifted, and I went from worry to faith. I went from worry to faith in the goodness of God that he's my father. He'll take care of me. He'll take care of me. And I had peace. I went home, and I had peace. I went home. No more arguments. I went home, and my wife had peace. She wasn't even had access. It was just like this just holy moment where God just gave us peace. You see, you don't need your problems resolved. You need to invite God into the midst of the problem, and it'll solve itself out over time. It'll work itself out. Fourth point. So don't look to rich people in your trials. Next point is reward. Rewards for endurance. So in your trial, there's reward for endurance. James 1, uh, 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Difficult times are going to happen, and we have to develop the ability to endure, to have faith in the midst of difficulty, to hold on to the goodness of God even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. 
We must realize that God is good in the midst of the difficulty. We must project our faith in who God is and who he's revealed himself to be in Christ and that we will have a reward. And the crazy thing is that we get two rewards when we trust God and we, we use our faith in trials. The first reward says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man. It means happy. That means that when you trust God in your trial, you will experience peace, joy, comfort. You will experience all of the fruits of the Spirit in the midst of trial, in the midst of the difficulty. And then when you get to heaven, God will reward you for trusting him while you are on earth. It says, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, friends, we have to get our eyes towards the eternal. Eyes towards the eternal. I'm going to zip through these last points here. Sixth point, or the fifth, sixth, I don't remember which one we're on. Fifth, don't blame God for your trials. This is all in James 1. This is crazy. Like This is like such wisdom right here. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it runs its course, brings forth death. This is what it says in John 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, the devil is the one who's trying to destroy you. God uses trials to bring glory unto himself, to refine us, to look more like Christ. But God is the one who doesn't tempt you. Here's what I've noticed is that when you go, when I go through trial, I'm often tempted to sin. When I'm going through a hard time, when I'm tempted to go back to pornography. When I'm going through a difficult time in relationships, I'm tempted to go back into, into habits and, and, and addictions. And what God's saying here is that when you're in your sin, don't blame God for what you're in. The only thing God's ever done for you is die on a cross, remove your sin so that you can be free. The devil's come to destroy your life. Uh, you need to appropriate the, the, the correct assignment of blame to the devil and not unto God. He cannot tempt you. He uses that. He's with you in the trial. But when you are in the trial, your own desire for sin comes out. And that the beautiful thing about trials, it reveals where you're weak. And the people, I love trials. I mean, I don't like them. But they're a good thing because it reveals where I'm weak. And if I know that I'm weak, I run to my father and I say, I didn't even know I was weak here. What an amazing opportunity for me to grow in my relationship with you and to be stronger than ever before. Most people don't think like that. You should. We should because everything is unto the glory of God. Everything is to refine my life to make me more Christ-like. Paul was, don't blame God for trials, Paul was in prison in Acts 16 and he was singing, uh, he was singing Maverick City music songs while he was in prison. I'm sure he was singing like, I thank God. Like he was like, I thank God while he was in prison. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and he was singing all night long. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. They never blamed God, they said, I'll die for God. Stephen was being stoned to death. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
Listen, life happens, difficulty happens. We have an enemy, the, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion. Don't blame God for things that the devil's doing. You need to sit in it and realize God's goodness is in the midst. And the way of Christian is not to look at things through a carnal or a, a, a worldly lens, but to look at them and find the goodness of God in the, in the, in the middle of it. And the last point, so don't blame God for trials. The last point is God is good. Do not be deceived. You know why it says that? Most people are deceived. Verse, seven, verse 16. James 1. Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers and sisters, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is good, friends. I can't make sense of why things happen in life why difficulty and tragedy and abuse and, and death? I, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know. God is good. And then if I go down the rabbit trail of trying to figure out why God does things, it will lead me to a place of skepticism, and I never want to be there. Listen, if you have questions, you can ask your questions. I've asked questions before, but don't ask your questions and sacrifice your faith. In the middle of your questions, hold on to the goodness of God and that he sent his own son to die for us while we were sinners. He is good, friends. In the midst of our brokenness, he is good. I had a, a ministry appointment, meaning just a time of prayer with, with a young lady recently. She was going through some, some emotional difficulty and I was praying with her and we were asking God some questions. We were just in a time of prayer. And we were in this moment where, where she was sitting there in prayer and I just asked her to ask Jesus, where are you? She's going through a really dark time. In that moment, she sensed the presence of God enter the room and just sit right next to her. She started weeping and, and, and was just like overwhelmed. We took her through some more prayer just prayed for her, prayed for her situations. And at the, end of the, at the end of the prayer ministry, at the end of the time of prayer, she said this phrase, it stuck with me so, so vividly. I didn't know God was this good. She had heard about God. She'd sang about God. She had hoped that God was good. But it wasn't until the trial came and her faith endured. And God guided her, right, to another Christian to help her pray. And in that moment, I didn't do anything. In that moment, she tasted. She saw that God was good. Friends, don't take your circumstances personal. Take Jesus personal. And if we'll hold on, be patient, and wait for the loving embrace of our Father and will hold on to his goodness in the midst of our trial, he will show himself faithful, I promise. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that our faith would not fail. And I pray that your goodness and your love and your peace 
would be revealed in this room. I pray that any spiritual forces of darkness would be lifted in the name of Jesus. I pray that any demonic oppression leave this room in Jesus' name and we testify to the resurrection of Jesus, to the goodness of God, and to the love of God that was presented and shown in Jesus in his death and resurrection. And I thank you, God, that you took it all for us, God. You took every sin, you took every punishment, you took everything for us, God, so that we could live. And I pray, God, that you would give us the endurance and you would give us the grace, God, that we might push through trials, be refined, and have stronger faith than ever before. And may we fix our eyes on your goodness and your love and your consistency as we push through. I pray, God, for anyone who feels hopeless right now, that that hopelessness would break and that the, that the light of the gospel of Jesus would shine and that they would have hope for a brighter future. In Jesus' name. I pray all this, God, and thank you for this community. I thank you for this church family, God, that we might just grow and sharpen each other to make you famous. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Thank you guys for, uh, for listening. And I-